When I look into the face of my enemy, I see my brother. I think the problem in our country is that too many people have equated different with enemy. And I think that if we had all glasses to see every person, regardless of their race, their status, their sexual orientation, their gender, where they live, where they don't live, what they're addicted to, what they're not addicted to, where they went to school, if they did go to school. I think if we had glasses to see every one of those people as made in God's image, different or enemy, we see them as brother, sister. We see that there is no them, there is only us. And I think in this country, honestly and and truthfully, this is not a political statement at all, but if Alton Sterling and Philando Castile were seen not as different, but as brothers, they wouldn't be dead. And if Micah Xavier could see these police officers alongside peaceful protesters as image bearer of God, as someone who may be different, but is still brother, these five officers wouldn't be dead and these 12 other folks wouldn't be wounded. But the reality is, our world is broken, our world is fractured, our country is still suffering from the sins of racism and endemic oppression in this world. And that's not a political statement, that is a truth. That is a true statement. And this is the fruit that we've seen of it this week. And so tonight, we were supposed to talk about loving our spouses, because it's in the summer of love, right? We, have, <laughs> we don't have the beach scene up here tonight. We have a reminder that our city brokenness visits us everywhere. But it's okay because in the summer of love, we've also been trying to sort out what it means to love God and love others, our neighbors as ourselves. And the truth is, what we've been talking about the last few weeks is still true this week, and that Jesus Christ has rezoned our neighborhood. That all the people we were convinced we weren't supposed to love were called to love. And what does that mean to love them? It means to value them, see them as valuable, relate to them as made in God's image, as worthy of love, to see them as valuable, even at cost to yourself. And for God's people, especially at cost to yourself, because that's how God loved us. And Amy and I were talking yesterday because we were just in a daze of news and social media and just trying to make it through the fog and put down some thoughts to share with us tonight. And we got to thinking that it still comes down to this hashtag. The lieutenant governor of this state blamed a hashtag on the violence of sin and terrible evil choices. And so... I think better than hashtag black lives matter or even better than hashtag all lives matter, of course all lives matter, by the way, is your life matters. The antidote to violence, the antidote for us versus them, the antidote for Democrat, Republican is to see you, this person in front of me, your life matters. 
Because then what you're doing is this. You're saying, I'm not going to this camp or that camp. I say your life matters. And when I say your, that means I'm actually leaning into a relationship. Because all the status updates in the world may bring awareness, but they don't transform our neighborhood. I posted something on Facebook. And I read all the tweets. I told you I was in that daze. I was in a coma. But our reminder, church, for us tonight is we have got to lead in love and say your life matters. Because why? John says so many hundreds of years ago, words that we're still grasping with, still trying to sort out. It's on our screen here tonight. 1 John chapter 4 beginning in verse 16. God is love, which is powerful. Of all the things he could say about God, God is love. And that's not even the first time he said it in this letter. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. You can only live in love. We can only say your life matters. We can only transform and push into relationships rather than draw back when you live in love. But you can't live in this kind of love that sees enemies and difference as brothers and sisters if God is not living in you. Can non-Christians, Muslims, people of other faiths love people? Absolutely they can. But when Jesus was teaching and said, you've heard it said, love your neighbor as yourself and hate your enemy. He says, I say to you, love your enemy and bless and pray for those who persecute you. And he goes on to say, everyone can love people like them. Everyone in this country can love their political party people, the people on Facebook who they like all their posts. They can like their family, even though that's hard sometimes. No offense, family. I didn't know my parents were coming. (laughs) He says, everybody can love people like yourself. But to love your enemies, to love someone different, that's the kind of love that there is something transformed in your heart. There is something to this God who's dwelling in you, who you can't see, that empowers you to love those you can see. And that kind of love is Christ-like, it's cross-shaped, it's transformational, it's sacrificial, because we've been saying every week, and we need to hear it again this week, that love is valuing an other, and it's relating to them, and it's even at cost it yourself. Love is sacrificial action, especially to love those who are different. So John continues, that kind of love is an outgrowth of God living in them. Then he says this. So this is how love is made complete among us. That's how this cycle, God loved us and then we show that love to others. This cycle is complete. Look with me in verse 17. We know that we'll have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. Jesus loved difference. Jesus loved enemies. 
There was not a neighborhood in which Jesus traveled in which he could not find a neighbor to love as himself. And he calls us to do the same. In this church, we say discipleship or being a Christian is more than a prayer you prayed when you were six years old or the fact that you grew up in church or the fact that you were baptized. To be a follower of Jesus is to be with Jesus, to learn from Jesus how to look like Jesus. Providence Community Church folks that have been around are rolling their eyes because we say that all the time. We should put it on a t-shirt. It's to be with Jesus, to learn from Jesus, how to love like Jesus. Who did Jesus love? Did he love the difference? Did he love the ones who did violence to him? Peter, who walked with Jesus and learned from Jesus how to look like Jesus, years after Jesus was killed rather than kill, he was a victim at the hands of terrorism. Peter, who had heard the words that I just quoted to you about loving your enemies and blessing those who cursed you, wrote down in the second chapter of his letter, 1 Peter 2, beginning in verse 21. It says, To this you've been called because Christ has left you an example that you should follow in his steps. Well, what should we do? What steps are we following in? He says, When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he was persecuted, he did not persecute in return. He says, but he continued to entrust himself to the one who judges justly. When we see injustice, we trust God. But Jesus still worked toward justice. But he did not return hate for hate. He did not return violence for violence. We need to condemn violence. And like Jesus, we need to never resort to violence. We can, with a straight face, look at what happened in downtown Thursday night and say, evil. But we can also look to the cross and see Jesus, who said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they're doing. We need to be a radical people who've had our neighborhood rezoned to even love enemies, to even love difference. How is this possible? Because if you're like me, you're looking and you're thinking about the people you know downtown and you feel what? You feel fear. You feel fear to go back down. You feel fear to go into a movie theater. You feel fear to go this way or that way. We feel fear. And I can't tell you how to feel. It's okay to feel fear. But when it comes to relationship with God and with others, John tells us this startling statement. Look back again at 1 John 4. There is no fear in love. Perfect love drives out fear. And the immediate context he's talking about here is you don't have to fear God anymore. Look what he says. Because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. The immediate context is to say, look, God loves even his enemies. He sent Jesus at just the right time to die for the enemies, to die for the unrighteous, to bring them, to reconcile them to God. Well, you're thinking, well, fear of the Lord is beginning of wisdom. That's a different fear. John says this fear has to do with punishment. So the immediate context is, if you know the God who is love, he's not out to get you. 
You're reconciled to him. But John says, this perfect love drives out fear of God, but it should also drive out the fear of the other. Because you can't love the other, love the different, if you're afraid of them. Afraid of what they might say, afraid of what they might do. I'm not advocating that when you turn the other cheek, you keep coming back and say, please, sir, can I have another? Sometimes it's okay. It is okay to be afraid of someone's threatening your life. It is okay. But like Jesus, you trust God. And like Jesus, would you trust him to take care of you and not return violence for violence? If love has the run of the house, you are free to be loved and you're free to love because perfect love drives out fear. He goes on and says, we love because God first loved us. So whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they've not seen. I mean, this is just simple statements. It's a delusion to say, I'm, I, I love people. I posted it on Facebook. No offense, Facebook users. Didn't mean to knock you down again. I'm a Facebook user. Our dadgum church stuff is on Facebook. <laughs> but you can't say you love these people if it's not motivating you to sacrificial action and saying your life matters. You right here who I'm with even if it costs my reputation, even if it costs my time, even if it costs my resources, what's going to transform the world is for us to lead a charge, to be the church, to be like Jesus, to love all the others, all the difference, and see that we're all neighbors. It's a delusion to think that you say you love God if you don't love the people he's made and called into mission in this church and to reach outside of this church. And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and their sister. It's okay to grieve. It's okay to not be okay. Jesus wept at brokenness. Nobody should tell you, don't just get over it. If we were talking about spouses tonight, we would say things like, well, just don't be mad anymore. That's something you should never tell your spouse, yes? Don't be sad anymore. Ready? Fix it. It's okay to be angry. It's okay to be angry. Most times, anger is a result of fear. You're afraid for your life. You're afraid that your kingdom has been invaded. So you react in anger. It's okay to grieve. It's okay to be angry. But it's better when your grief and your anger motivate you to act motivates our church to love because love drives out anger and it should never lead us to violence. Sacrificial love that we're called to is the opposite of violence. Sacrificial love that Jesus has called us to is the antidote to violence. Kara, would you go to the second quote from Dr. Martin Luther King he says, returning violence for violence just multiplies violence. He said so many times in his writings and speeches that violence is a downward spiral. He says other places that if you try to kill the hater, you can never kill hate. If you try to kill the liar, you can't kill 
lies. Returning violence for violence just multiplies violence, adding deeper darkness to a night already devoid of stars. Darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. So how do we respond? Well, I think the first thing we need to do is resolve to recant of violence. Because what happened this week is evil, and the taking of life is not what God's about. Not what Jesus has called us to. Jesus chose to be killed rather than to kill. He tells us to turn the other cheek. He says those who live by the sword will die by the sword. But we want to cherry pick the things that Jesus says. Just talk about saving our soul, Jesus. Don't talk about how we ought to live and love our neighbor. But when you see these people as image bearers of God, when you see them as brother and sister, it's hard to pull the trigger. And then I think this is so crucial. Repent of the ways that we've cooperated with a culture of racism, separation, and fear. The love we're called to drives out fear, it drives out racism, and it drives out this idea that there is them and there is us. And I think we need to say that maybe this means when we're silent, or maybe it means when we're complicit, when our friends, family, or coworkers are telling that joke or making that comment or making that ignorant stuff that is just going to leave it for the next generation. It's just going to sow seeds that's going to continue. And just like violence, it's a downward spiral. And just like violence, we need to say enough is enough. And love is the antidote. We need to resolve to love all, regardless of their, what? Race, age, sexual orientation, or status. Because that's what Jesus did. And I think this is crucial I think we need to resolve to raise our kids, not just as not racist, but I think actively anti-racist, to love all as Jesus loves. Because, because they're just going to continue to pay for the sins of this generation, and it's just going to keep exponentially dividing and breaking our country. I want my girls to love all regardless of the basis and color of their skin. And I think that's one of those places. It's not just enough that they're not prejudiced or not racist. I think they need to actively stand up against it, which is our final resolution I would encourage me to do. And, uh, and if you are so willing, I would encourage you to do. Resolve to be courageous in your conversations and your relationships, to stand up for unity and to stand against hate. To not let those comments go. You don't have to be a jerk about it. You need to be loving and speak the truth in love. But as much as it's up to you, as much as it's up to your relationships, strive to be at peace with all. Strive to stand up for truth. And I'll just close with this before we pray. What do we need to remember? We need to remember that Jesus reigns. And that's just not a nice thing that Christians say. We believe that Jesus is the reigning Lord of heaven and earth. And he's inviting all peoples under his gracious rule to find forgiveness, to find life, to find peace. He's already defeated sin. 
So we don't have to cooperate with the brokenness of the world. He's loosed the chains from those who followed him. And on the cross, he's also released us from the sting of death. He rose in victory in our hope that even if an enemy takes our life, that that will not be the end. That even someday death will die. We need to remember this. We need to put this in front of us. We need to remember that God's kingdom in Jesus has come. And it's coming more and more as we are surrendering and loving surrendering to him as our king and learning to love like he loves. Like John just said, to live in love. Church, that we would live in love because this is how we participate with God's coming kingdom. And as John reminded us when we sang, even so come, we need to remember that his kingdom has not yet come in fullness. But one day, evil will be no more and something so beautiful is that even diversity is going to remain. When John, in his other book, the Revelation talks about this vision of this heaven that he sees. He sees every tribe, tongue, nation seated around the throne, praising the lamb who was slain. And they're celebrating Jesus who has come and is coming. There's even diversity in heaven. So when we love those who are enemies, love those who are different, love the others, we're practicing for the new age that God is going to bring. When he'll wipe away every tear from every eye, evil will be no more. And so tonight, what we're doing in these next few moments, we are going to invite you to pray to the God who is love. And when we leave this place, would you, in his power and help, live as his children to love all? So as we close this time, we're going to have some prompts on the screen and give you each time just a moment of silence, and then we'll move on each time when we say, Lord, have mercy and hear our prayers. Some of you are not followers of Jesus tonight, and that's we're so glad you're here. Uh, some of you are new to Jesus and life with him, so we hope the handout will be a help to you for those words that are struggling to come. Perhaps you would find some words there to help you to learn how to play and pray, excuse me. So I'd just like to open this time with a word of prayer and then I'll guide us through for these families, this community, for the violence we've seen this week and for God's peace to reign. So would you join me in prayer? Lord, we ask that we would live in love because you live in us. And apart from you, we cannot love sacrificially in the way we're called to. So we ask for your grace and your strength. And Lord, we ask now that you would hear the prayers of your people. In Jesus' name, amen. We invite you to pray for the family and community in Baton Rouge, grieving the loss of Alton Sterling this week. Lord, have mercy and hear our prayers. We pray for the family and community in St. Paul and Falcon Heights, grieving the loss of Philando Castile. Lord, have mercy and hear our prayers. 
We pray for the police officers who killed these men, struggling to pick up the pieces. Lord, have mercy and hear our prayers. Lord, we pray for the family, the community, grieving the loss of Brent Thompson, Patrick Zemaripa, Michael Kroll, Michael Smith, and Lorne Ahrens, the five officers who were killed on Thursday in our city. have mercy and hear our prayers. Lord, we pray in the powerful name of Jesus for the healing of the seven other officers and the two civilians shot on Thursday in our city. mercy and hear our prayers. Lord, we pray for the people in our nation and for our leaders in the weeks ahead, for hatred, racism, blaming, and fear to be driven out by love. have mercy and hear our prayers. Lord, we pray for peace and unity to reign in the body of Christ, the church universal, and for courage to stand in the power of the Holy Spirit to put love where love is not in the name of Jesus, our King. and hear our prayers. And finally, Lord, we pray for this broken world in need of rescue. We cry out to you, Father, and ask that your kingdom would come and that your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. all of this in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Tonight's benediction is by Aubrey Smith. May we follow Jesus by pursuing peace even at a great cost to ourselves, striving for reconciliation, wholeness, and justice in this broken world. May we discipline ourselves in gentleness and humility, seeking to understand rather than to be understood, and trusting our just God with our protection, provision, and vindication. May we courageously love those considered our enemies, pray for those who 
persecute us and bear witness to the sacrificial love of Jesus amid a, amid a vengeful and violent age. May we lay down our rights, our weapons, and our freedoms, taking up instead the cross of Jesus Christ, who died for us while we were yet sinners and enemies of God. May we walk in step with the Holy Spirit, who frees us to serve and empowers us to make peace in impossible circumstances. And may we pray expectantly for God's kingdom to come in fullness, when God himself will be our rest and our peace, and he will make all things new. Go in peace.